the year 1953. A plane touches down at Smithy's Airport in Sydney. On board is an American named Lee Gordon. The Australian music scene will never be the same again. From then until now, these are the stories. Hey there, this is Sheldon the Kangaroo Kid and you're listening to Awesome Aussie Songs. This is part two of the episode on Ted Maori. Well, I'm still here and Josh isn't, so that means, unfortunately, the lockdown continues. It's August 2021 here, so hopefully if you're listening to this sometime into the future, the virus is under control and the health workers have got everything in check. We've had a great response to our last four episodes, Leon's story. These had previously been released a few years ago on the All Australian Music Stories podcast, so I thought I'd dig through the archives and bring out another couple of episodes. This week, we take a look at the late, great Ted Maori. This is part two of the episode on Ted Maori. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, go back and have a listen to that one first. This episode focuses on the second phase of Ted's career as the leader of the hugely successful Ted Maori gang. As a solo artist, Ted had already experienced chart success with five hit singles. However, the best was yet to come, and this episode is all about TMG. With an army of fans... TMG stood alongside contemporaries such as Skyhooks and Sherbet in terms of popularity, and the links with ACDC are many, including TMG's founding members Les Hall and Herm Kovacs, starting out with a band with the legendary Malcolm Young. This was the days prior to Malcolm allowing his bratty little brother Angus up on stage. The Ted Murray gang achieved massive chart success, including the number one hit song, Jump In My Car. All up, they had 10 songs to make the ARIA Top 40, with four albums also charting. I hope you enjoy listening to the career of the Ted Maori Gang. So after releasing six singles and two albums as a solo artist, Ted recruits Herm and Les and the TMG is formed. I, I think it's a great name, the gang. So how did the term the Ted Maori gang come about, not the Ted Maori band? Not very bad, Ted Maori band or Ted Maori group. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, that is it. you know, I think it's a great name too. I think the gang yeah. is, is a great um, name. I'm trying to think whether gang is American or, or British because – 
I mean, Ted had been in Australia then for about eight years, seven years or something like that, six to seven years. So, of course, he's still got that British background. So I'm thinking gang is really, you know, an, an English thing that, that came okay, with yep, it. You know, yep. it wasn't necessarily an Australian term, yep. you know. Um, so that's what I'm thinking. Uh, why it was gang, I don't know, but it, it, I think it's great. It would, I mean, we, we think of it now, we look back at it now and go, it is a great name. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a great name, TMG, like Ted Murray Gang I, 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 or because at the beginning it was Ted Mulry and the gang. Okay, yeah. Sort yep. of morphed to Ted Mulry gang, you yep. know. But it's great to, to say, oh, the gang. And I suppose there's a, a good tip of the, the, the lid to, to Herm and to Les for him to be such an established star and then to say, well, now these guys are equal. That's right. And he treated everything that way. It was actually a democracy. So everything, every decision was a democratic one. So whatever idea came to the band it was voted on as a band rather than ted going well it's my band we're doing this yeah, my yeah. name's on the front yeah you're just yeah. part of the gang boys. so in that respect he did um he, it was inclusive like he he respected everybody's opinion in the band um as a unit you know which i think is fantastic you know well you hear the stories from ronnie clayton the roadie for the group yep and same thing he was treated as an equal he wasn't just a, he was, someone to lug the gear in he was he was treated as part of the he gang. was a fifth member yep. he was the fifth member uh, of the band and he did a lot for the band still does do a lot for the band um he was he he was the driver he'd drive the gear he'd set it all up on his own pull it all down on his own and drive to the next place while they're having a good time you know what yep, i mean yep. ron did a lot of work and still does and yes he was treated as an equal and uh and rightfully so he he was with tmg before tmg started he was with velvet underground oh okay so, yeah, so that's how he came in so he came along with the band basically with with herm and uh and les so yeah, that's no, a great history because it's as we said before, it's a guy's seen a couple of budding young musicians, and and he's already been a star. Ted's a that's star, right. and he already had hits. That's right. So the band's debut album is called "Here We Are," and the first single from the the Ted Murray Gang is "Sunday Evenings." Mm. It comes in at a, a lowly eighty-seven on the charts, but mm. still, it's a start. It's a very Beatles type song. It is. And it's one of my favourites. Well, it's a lot different to the the last song. I won't look back. Yeah. Again, different it shows, feel. Yeah, it shows the diversity of Ted's music, basically. Correct, and his writing styles. Yes, it's. You could tell it was the same. Probably the same person, maybe you know. But that song is very different to "I Won't Look Back." Won't, I won't look back. Was a real rambling. You know, really going for it. Yep. We're heading down the highway. We're gonna take a few days out of town. You know that kind of thing. And then Sunday evenings was I remember not so long ago. It's like a not. I wouldn't say a children's pantomime thing, but it's just a sort of. It was more light-hearted, and I think I really like that song. But yes, it didn't sell well as a single.
Sunday evening may not have set the charts on fire, but on this album was a song called Jump In My Car. Fortunately, a DJ, might have been Newcastle, um, I can't think of the person's name, I'm sorry if you're listening. Uh, Barry Chapman? It might have been Barry Chapman. Yeah. Liked that and started playing it. And then basically they said, well, let's release it, the the, um, record company. And it was the biggest hit they ever had, six weeks at number one, I think. And it's knocked Abba's Mamma Mia off the charts. Yeah. Well, knocked them from, from number, one. number it, one. It had been cemented at number one. And then it's knocked it off number and one. And stayed there. And stayed there. Right. And that, that, again, is a good reason to be um, thought of as going in the Aury Hall of Fame. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but, but, as we mentioned earlier, but um, off, off, uh, off air. But um, that, um, that was an amazing feat to do that. And the only Australian band, I think, ever to knock Abba from number one. How did that song come about? Jump My Car. Yeah. Well... They were recording an album and um, the producer at the time, uh, I can't think whether it was Ted Albert or, or who was producing that album at the time, we went through all the songs and went, you know, we need another song. We're still a song short really for the, for the, length, the length of this album. We need another one. Do you have any more? And Ted said, well, yeah, but none of them are really suited to it, you know. They said, well, we need another one. So Les said, I've got this riff. I just started playing, you know, something. Well, no, yeah. So we went, okay. So Ted... They were in another room, so Ted started writing lyrics. 25 minutes later, there it was. Wow. And, and you, when you think about how much is in that song, it would take you 25 minutes nearly to write the song out if you, if you, if you had the lyrics in front of you and you started writing them out. Yep. There's that much lyrical content because it's a call and answer. Yeah. The guy yeah. sings, she sings, the guy sings, she sings. Well, actually, Ted was saying all the verses, all, all the vocals, all the girl voices are Ted. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, okay. he sang everything on it. So on the original... So the Andrew sisters on it are actually Ted. Wow. So it's... Because obviously live it's the uh, the boys, the boys. backing up. Yeah. But so, yeah, so... And that's a that's handy to know or just when you, it gives you a different um, sound to it when you listen thinking, yeah. well, that's Ted female, Ted male That's right. And he knew, yeah. he knew in his head how he wanted it to sound. So rather than try and explain it to others to come in and record it, he just did the whole thing. You know, overdubs, of course. Do all the male verse first, and then come back and do the females and harmonise. You know, so I did all that, and that was a song. That was a, it was written in the studio, basically on the spot, and it became what it became. Try 
stage how, how do the the guys go backing it up so they've, i'm sure they've done it a million times now so yeah you know when, when i mean they hadn't played for 15 more than 15 years together when they decided to get back together over a period of, of that period they've been contacted many times and of course number one who could have, who would they get in to do it you know and you know secondly the, the guys really didn't want to do it without ted and so eventually, it was around about um, March or April, March, it would have been probably March 2016, when Herm contacted me and said, um, you know, just have a bit of small talk, you know, and said, uh, we're thinking of um, getting the, you know, doing the band. I said, yep, I'm in. <laughs> yep. And then I said to him, um, I, should I probably waited to see if you asked me first? You know? <laughs> so he said, no, that's terrific. He said, that's great. He said, He'd been talking to an agent. Well, an agent had contacted him and said, you know, they were, they were out watching um, Julie Anthony and uh, Shadow. Not the Shadows. Oh, the Seekers. The Seekers, sorry. Oh, sorry. yeah, Judith Durham. Yeah. Yep. Because, well, Judith was in the band originally, but then Julie Anthony took oh, over. Oh, that's right. right? Yeah. Yep. So they were watching that. I think it was Rudy Hill RSL or something like that. And uh, he was over there, Herm and, and uh, the agent. And he mentioned, you know, he said, look at look all the people in this crowd. You know, don't you think TMG could get back together? So talked about it. And then he talked about with it, with Les and you know they were oh yeah they said who would you get to sing we said well, we can't we wouldn't oh, they've told me since they said we wouldn't get anybody else other than Steve if Steve doesn't want to do it we don't do it and you were a different style of singer to Ted as well very much so yep. yeah I'm, I'm quite a hard rock heavy metal singer you know yeah 
Hey, it's Sheldon here, guys. Sorry to drop in on the episode like this. However, I just wanted to make mention of Steve's own career prior to TMG as the lead singer of the hard rockin' band Black Label. The guy sure has a set of pipes on him, and he's a fantastic frontman in his own right. Here's Steve building it out with Black Label. But fortunately, our voice, our ranges are very similar. You know, it's just the, the way that we project the songs. So I, I, I said yes, and the band got back together, and everybody's been happy. Like, it's just a great family of guys who are every gig, everybody's happy, you know. Um, and uh, But, yeah, I had to more or less relearn how to sing because I'd sang my way for 30-odd years, you know, and um, I then had to learn a more mellowish way of singing um more pop oriented but but i mean with my voice it's rock regardless do you know what i mean yeah but more mellow and to drop off as much as possible my vibrato because ted didn't use vibrato when he sang whereas i do all the time yep so i had to physically consciously think holding my notes straight without vibrato so that took a lot of effort but now it's no effort do you know yeah um again it was a, a, a big learning Curve. I'd, I'd get picked up all the time. Gary Dixon, who was exceptional in, in, in regards to vocal, you know, the, I'd sing and just have a bit of a waver and he'd go, oh, no, using vibrato there. You, should, oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. do it again yet. Yeah. So, yeah, it took me a little while to, to get it, but I, it's pretty good now. No one complains anymore to me, so it must be all right. <laughs> well, it's in the Maori DNA. Must be, yeah, yeah. must be. We must be related. Just getting back to jump in my car, the falsetto parts. As I said, it must be hard for the the gang to portray a, a woman, and as they're getting older, um, sure. it's harder to hit those really high notes. Yeah. So the way they do it now, if you really listen to it now, they're probably singing it a, a third lower. Right. You know? Okay. Yeah. So um, and they're not really using the falsetto so much. So more in a in a higher register of the of their chest voice. Um, and um getting technical now with head voice chest voice but now uh, there's people listening that, yeah. that dig all that sort of stuff so. so so um and i'm primarily a chest voice singer because i like guys who are beefy vocals you know yeah um uh, and um so they sing more in the high register of the chest into the into the throat which can be damaging if you don't do it right and and that's how they they do it and again nobody nobody says oh you didn't hit that note properly they still sing it right, but yep. it's just not in the same pitch as where it was when Ted recorded it, you know. And it's the it's the guys from the original people, well, not Ted, but it's the original people doing it. So Correct, who were there from the start. And that's one good thing about the band. Yes, I suppose it's hard for some people to get their head around to say, well, it's not the Ted Mulry gang because Ted's not there. Yep. 
And in a way, that's that's correct. But the thing is, the entity, the band was called Ted Mulry Gang. You know, it's it's actually the business name. It, it was the name, name of the band. So TMG, Ted Mulry Gang. Yes, Ted's not there, but the songs are all the same. The ba- rest of the band is the same band. It's, it's a band that recorded on the albums. So it is TMG. You say, well... Do you, do you let the music die, like, or do you find a way how to reinterpret this music and yes. get it back out there? Because, you know, I, I, I can't speak for Ted, or, or no one could speak for Ted, but you would think that he would want his music out, Correct. and then the next thing you would say, well, I want my little brother to be singing it. Yeah. So you yeah. would think that he'd be giving it ticks in, you, in you, every you, instance. I'd hope so. Yeah. You know, that's the way I feel about it. Um, I mean, I feel honoured to be asked. I mean, the, the guys could very well have gone with someone else who, you know, could do the job, play bass and sing at the same time. Do you know what I mean? But I don't again, play bass. I don't think it would give it that same legitimacy that I, and that I agree with you singing as well. Yeah, I agree with you and I'm glad they saw it that way too. I've heard different interviews with people saying it's like you're opening your mouth and Ted's words are coming out. So, But, again, I think that comes back from you being the same DNA as Ted, so as close to Ted as anybody could ever be. So, you know, and, and again, that's a great tribute to you as a singer as well because I'm sure people were looking at it and and trying to find a reason why you shouldn't be singing these songs. sure. And, of course – I've put effort in to sound that way as well. Yes, our, our voices have the same range, um, but our styles are different. But I've put the effort in because the fans who come out to see this and hear the band want it to be the way it was. You know what I mean? Yep. And so it's not another band doing its interpretation of TMG songs. It's TMG playing TMG songs. Therefore, every component of it should be as close as it was. Uh, and that's why I do the best I can with my voice. And again, with the bass players we've chosen, both of the players who have played in a band so far were very good friends of Ted and appreciated the music and did the songs justice. Yep. Because one, one of the first bass players was Mark Evans, is that right? Mark Evans, yep. correct. Mark said yes straight away and uh, had the same bass as Ted as well. So it was really interesting. He, he played the same model bass and all that kind of thing. So it was quite interesting having Mark in the band. And Mark has some terrific stories when we were on the road um, with him touring. And, and so, uh, you know, he fit in really well because he was a, a good friend and a good – I'd known him for a while before that. And, you know, we all fit in really well together. But, of course, he got um, he got a great offer from Rose Tattoo. I mean, you know, now he's been touring Europe twice already okay. with Rose Tattoo. Yep. So, you know, that's a great opportunity for him as well. Um, and then, of course, Tony Mitchell – from Sherbet yep. has come in. So, I mean, there was a lot of um, closeness there as well, particularly as we mentioned earlier on with T- uh, Sherbet's first song that hit the charts being a Ted song. And Tony really – Tony is more of a melodic player, very much like Ted was a melodic player. Um, Mark was a more straight-ahead player. Like, funnily yep. enough, he would fit in ACDC. <laughs> yeah. um, and um, and Tony is a, is, a, is a very melodic player like Ted. And so um, he fits in beautifully. And again, we're trying to to go back 30-odd years or 40-odd years, but I'm I'm assuming both being bass players, touring together, they would have interacted musically, just looking at each other and and tips and and, and whatnot. So again, it's someone that seen Ted was there. That was there was was the synergy of those guys. Exactly. Were there. Yeah. And good friends of Ted. Yeah. And, and and again, it's it's great for Australian music that yep. TMG is 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 back on the road. I think so too. 
more so, I think it's good for them. I, I, I said yes initially because all that time since they stopped playing, it was around about 2000 when they stopped playing because that's when Ted was diagnosed in, late, in mid to late 2000. And um, they were younger. The, the, the band was younger than I am now when they stopped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so like yeah. Les was like 52 or something. Do you know what I mean? And and he was the next oldest next to Ted, if you know what I mean. So, And just to butt in for a second, because yeah. I think it's an important thing because band personnel changes a lot over time. Yeah. But the fact and, – and you say Gary had left the band at one stage, but Les and Herm and Ted were a gang from the start to the finish. From the very beginning. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and yes, Gary did leave when we did the benefit concerts in two thousand and one. Gary came back into the band to play bass to replace Ted and Mark Tinson, who was in the band when the band stopped playing, played guitar, so which was Gary's spot originally, right? So Gary came in and played bass for those two concerts. But when the band came back together in two thousand and sixteen, it was obviously going to be Gary because he was on the records. I think that. That nucleus of those three guys is what makes the band. And I, I thought to myself, they deserve to be out there playing again because they were still so young when the when they finished as TMG um, that I wanted them out there. I wanted to see them playing again. And the fans did because there was a lot of talk on Facebook and different social medias, you know, TMG, TMG. There was different groups for TMG. And so there was a small swell of people asking about, oh, when are you guys going to bring out when, – when, Steve, when, when will they bring out um, a box set? And I'm going, well, I don't really know. We, we were trying to do that anyway, do something about a box set of records, you know, yeah. or CDs or whatever. But um, when they said they want to get back together, that was it for me. You know, I thought, well, finally, they, they deserve it. And I, how can I say no? You know, yeah, yeah, they definitely. deserve to be out there. Well, when we, we look back at the television side of things and the success of TMG – they were fantastic for television, especially when colour TV came in. Yeah. You know, we're talking about the fashion and, the, yeah. you know, they looked great. They, yeah. The music was great. And and shows like Sounds and Countdown, is yep. they, were, they were staples of this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Even before that, there was another one called Uptight. I'm not sure whether, whether TMG got on. I think Ted may have got on Uptight. That was like late 60s, went into 1970, I think. And that was Ross D. Wiley was the guy who yep. used to be – do that show up tight and then it sort of went to sounds and but yeah as you said the fashions uh the flares all, all the satins you know bright colors they were um what you might call uh glam they were a glam band yep you know pop and, rock and you know kids look back at that now and think geez <laughs> that looks a bit i suppose girlish or yeah, whatever. Yeah. but it was the time it, was, the time, it was happening at the time at the time that was it you know the, the suite in england with it were like that uh, you know, there was other bands uh, that were in that, um, we'll call it a genre, that the, the glam rock thing. And glam rock went on a bit further as well. I mean, even when heavy rock bands from America like um, uh, Motley Crue, they were a glam band when they first came out, yep, you know, yep. and then started wearing the denim jackets later, you know, like um, to get that more heavier edge. Well, I was look. talking about this with Sean from uh, Shortstack, and and Shortstack again were a band that that were all about about the music first, but then the fashion side of things came into it. Yeah. And what we were talking about is it's the entertainment business. That's what if, it is. If you want to look like you've just finished work and jumped up on stage, we'll go sing karaoke. Like ACDC. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> they're the only one that could do it because that was their that their was niche. their thing, and it was yep. they were a working class band. Exactly, exactly. Know? And even um, I've I've heard Angry and and the guys say that with Rose Tattoo that 
they specifically went to op shops to get worn jeans and yeah you know so they were after was, a certain look is exactly and tmg took that the glam look and there were really there was hush in australia and, and other bands but they weren't rocking like uh, tmg was rocking that's right no you're right and and you're just saying about the entertainment industry i i i played in a lot of original bands and um i've done some cover sh- things as well and there's a lot of things on social media in particular i don't know i hope you don't mind me going to this just for now no where people you know they go oh you know cover bands doing the concept shows doing this and well if there wasn't an industry for it there wouldn't those bands wouldn't be there and it's because people want to be entertained and a lot of times they want to be entertained by what they know and that might be unfortunate for today's musicians because it is sad in the sense that these days bands and artists don't get enough exposure as they did years ago but people who are going out and spending the money to go and see bands are the ones from that earlier era who want to see bands be entertained by bands who do ACDC shows or Queen shows or, you know, or or just do cover shows, you know. Um, it's, it, is, it is unfortunate, but to me it's entertainment, whether it's original or a cover. It doesn't mean that much difference to me. It's entertainment. People want to be entertained. And if new artists can't grab that audience, then it's up to the new artists to get better. In, in another context, it's he who pays the piper calls the tune. So Absolutely. If, if you're putting money on the bar and you're you're paying a, a ticket to go to go into somewhere, well, of course that venue's then going to book that yeah. same act again. Yeah. And and it's the same, you know. There's there's the Beatles tributes, the Elvis tributes, sure. but if you don't have these tributes, you're never going to see this music again. And of you course, won't. when you're seeing a, an Elvis tribute artist, you might be getting fifty percent of what Elvis was able to do, maybe twenty five percent. Who knows? Yeah. But that twenty five percent. I think is a bit better than 0%, you know, so... Correct. You're right. And a lot of original musicians do cover shows so they can get some money. You know what I mean? Like they've played for years and years, learned their craft, spent hours in their bedroom, hours trying to get gigs, and no one shows. So to keep that passion alive that they can do their own shows and no one comes, or maybe a few people do, they go and do cover shows where people go there and at least they get some people cheering at them and you also get some money. Yeah, you know, because exactly. cover shows earn more money, which is sad. It is a sad state. Oh, when, definitely, when that, definitely, yep. Uh, but it is usually frustrated original musicians who go and do cover shows. Well, TMG, they release a, a rock version of the Dixieland song from the 1920s, Darktown Strutter's Ball. How did that come about, that song? Okay, that song was actually from 1917 when it was written by a guy called Sheldon Brooks. It was a jazz song. Not a bad name. And uh, yeah, it is a Sheldon. <laughs> How about that, eh? There we go. How about that? What a great name. There's another one. I don't think anybody would have a name like that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sorry, Sheldon. Um, yeah, 1917. It was a jazz song and it was a favourite, I think, of Herm's mum. And I think they were trying to, they were looking for a song to do that, um, you know, maybe cover. Because sometimes a cover jump starts your, your career a bit more. Do you know what I mean? They'd had, they'd had Jump In My Car out. To follow that Jump In My Car, which was a novelty song, to keep the flow going, it's sometimes hard to write one that, that keeps that going. So as a cover song, Herm said, what about this song? Dance all over the floor, dance all over the floor. 
for my shoes When the band plays the Jelly Roll Blues Say tomorrow night at the Dogtown Shadows They all sort of liked it. And what they did was they slowed the song down because obviously a jazz song, originally that song was like jazz combo type thing, you know. So they slowed it down so it was pick you up about half past eight. But there was only one verse to the original song. So Ted wrote the second verse and the third verse is really the first verse repeated. Okay. Good old rock and roll. Yeah. And um, that's how it became what it became. And, and, of course, it was a hit as well. It was a big hit, which ended up being a great follow-up to Jump In My Car. number two on the charts it did. and it only got stopped going to number one by fernando so yeah well, funnily enough it was yeah, a payback wasn't yeah, it ever got their own back a bit so yeah. but at the same time too to get a song stuck in behind fernando at number two you, it you can't isn't bad is it yeah. isn't bad and a funny little thing that i heard in regards to that when abba was out here um around about that time when fernando was released they got introduced to TMG, the, the boys, and um, whoever it was introduced them and said, oh, your song Fernando has kept these guys out of the number one position. And they said, oh, we're really sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really, yeah. They, they apologised. So, yeah. uh, so I think they're, they're very nice people by what I can hear. But, it's, it's, it, yeah, it was good that they, they met and they had something to talk about in regards to that, you know. But Fernando is a great song. What was that at number one for about 12 or 13 weeks or something? Yeah, exactly. So and- a bit of a payback. 
And it sort car. of shows, again, ABBA's, ABBA's music is totally different to TMG. So yeah. the people probably buying the ABBA songs weren't buying, weren't the buying TMG, TMG anyway. So it, That's right. They were they hit in two different markets yeah. and it showed that they were probably the, the two biggest acts of that market. Correct. At that time. At that time, yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. Until How's That came along. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Ted recorded another song of a difference, a sing-along song, Diner. This must be a great song for you guys to play live, the call and response. It is. We don't do it every show. Um, it takes several people to be calling out for it before we'll do it. It's not in a set, in a set list, but if enough people are calling it out, Les starts playing it. So then we've got to do it, you know. And, of course, because we don't rehearse it with, with Tony Mitchell, yeah. Tony's got to go, right, how does this go again? So he's got to follow along, you know. But yeah, it's a great song, and um, I've had I've done it a couple of times with, with my mum in the in the in the audience, and she's ninety four. So, but still, she um, she blocks her ears for the for the uh, good bits. Um, <laughs> but um, look, that was a that was like a traditional, almost like a traditional football song that um, they just decided to put on an album, you know. And of course, all the all the um, naughty bits are bleeped out or scratched out or um, you know whatever. But it's an interesting little song, and, and it is. Um, everybody seems to like it when we do do it live. Well, when you listen to the people in the uh, the the background of the, the, recording, the studio, yeah. the recording, everyone's having a good time. They are. But- they are. A lot of those people were actually from the record company who were called in to be in there when they recorded, and so a lot of those people you hear laughing or carrying on. It's it's actually record company staff who were in the building at the time who hadn't probably heard the song before. Well, yeah. So they're they're laughing. So along, it's new to them. New you know. to them. Yeah. Quickly, throw some more petrol on her. She's going out. 
One more time. So TMG was one of the hardest working bands in Australia. By the end of the uh, the nineties, they had done eleven tours, national tours of yeah, Australia. Pretty big, and, and that's not including you know just your your average. Well, they they would play four or five times a week. Sometimes yep. they'd play a couple of times on on a per Saturday day. night yeah, per, per day. Yeah, that's right. And that's right. So, but that's not including the the eleven times that they packed up the van and they toured Australia. That's right. Going to these little whistle stop towns that did a lot of that, and they were well known for that. Some stories that Ron Clayton could tell you, Ronnie DeRody, who could tell you, particularly with um, the shows they did out in the Outback. At that time, uh, there is one story I know of, and Herm can tell you this too, because Herm's writing a book at the moment. So, so is be, he? Okay, well, that'd be great. Probably coming out yep. next year. Very good book. In that book, he'll, he says that stories of when they went into Outback towns, there were certain pubs at the time. You've got to remember this is the 70s, right, where Aboriginal Australians were not allowed in at that time. And, of course, TMG didn't like that. So what they did was, in between the shows, they'd pack up their gear between the next show and go out to the Aboriginal communities where they were and did free gigs. Wow, okay. Yep. For them because they weren't allowed in. Yep. And, of course, the pubs got their shit and said, why are you playing out there? You know, you know, they said, well, you're not going to let them in anyway. Yes, they're not losing a ticket sale. So they went and did they? it for free. Yep. yep. Do you know what I mean? Um, of course, me and I all picked up on that, I think. Yeah. Well, it's like... <laughs> You know, as I always say, the uh, the premise of this uh, podcast starts when when Lee Gordon came to Australia, and he's touring Louis Armstrong, the greatest the greatest jazz wow. musician yep. ever, basically the yep. Satchmo. Well, there's places in Adelaide that wouldn't let him into the hotel How crazy. to stay. You, you know, and, you, you can't imagine it now, can you? And even even that you would think, well, okay, well. For some reason, you a white guy doesn't like a black guy, but usually when the the star power comes into it, usually they forget all forget all about the, that. The color disappears. Yeah, absolutely, but, but not not in Australia. They nah. were like, no, 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 we don't care that you're Louis Armstrong. You're black. You don't come in here. Yeah. It's just it's an incredible, and it's yeah. it's great that you know things aren't perfect now. But geez, they've they've changed yeah, a hell oh, of a they've lot. They've come a long way. Yeah, yeah, things aren't perfect, um, but you know that that you think back at that. Now and you just you can't imagine it. I mean, we know it was bad in America, yeah. You know, but you just don't think of it here, you know. Um, but that didn't deter TMG. No, well, it's good to know that they said, "Well, bug you in yeah. true rock and roll sense," and that's it. Here, here's a gift. Yeah. We we play to who it's we music for everyone. To. Exactly, yep. regardless. So, aside from touring, TMG are constantly in the studios. In 1976, for instance, they released two full-length albums. Two albums like it yeah. takes a, a band sometimes a couple of years to release an album. They've yeah. put out two in in the one year, 
and and that's on the back of constant touring as well. I think one was strutting and the other one was stepping out. Yeah, yep. And apparently, um, I'm not from the era, but apparently their style of music was called strutting, like the, yeah. the guitar, the strutting of the guitar. And, and when you hear that, now you listen to it and you think, you can yeah, there it. is a strut to that. Yeah, there's a strut to it. The thing was, the band were very, um, look, a lot of their influences, individually, they each had influences. Gary Dixon was a Beatles fan. Um, Les Hall was a, a Stones fan. And so was Ted. Ted liked the Stones. But also Ted's main influences were Free and um, Bad Company, um, that kind of thing. He was a big Paul Rogers fan. But overall, the band itself, the influence of TMG was status quo. Okay, yeah. In, in a way, you yeah. know. And so Status Quo were a boogie band, and TMG were very much in that boogie band thing. So a boogie, you're strutting in yep. a boogie. Yeah, and that's where that sort of fits in uh, the strutting uh, as being a boogie band, you know. Uh, the first song that we start off with every night at the gigs uh, is um, – my little girl, and that's a boogie song. That's a shuffle, you know. It's a shuffle, which is a boogie uh, type thing, and, and um, that's where that came from. So, yeah, it's a, they're a strutting band. And My Little Girl, I won't try and get out of order, but My Little Girl was the uh, first single released on the Mushroom label. Yes, it was. That's right. When they got signed to Mushroom, which is a, that was quite a lucrative deal. That was probably the best record deal ever in Australia to that date. Keep coming for TMG, and on the Stepping Out album, there's the Stepping Out single, which yep. is which is a great song. Yep. Get my breakfast brought every morning. Sitting in a hotel room, laying in bed, scratching my head, wondering what I'm gonna do. Because I've had enough And we're all stepping out And 
And then there's there's another song called Crazy, which yeah. is one one of the biggest hits, yeah. and probably their third biggest. Yeah. song that TMG release on the Alberts label is such a cool song Jamaica Rum Sit here on my own and sip your 
from Jamaica, land of tropical fruit. Rum is a drink to dilute. My head beats like a drum from drinking Jamaica rum. So to contrast the smooth groove of Jamaica Rum is the hard-hitting song Wanted Man. Mm. That's as rocky as any Aussie that is song a great has ever song. been put out. Yeah, that is a great song. Um, it's a real cruncher, you know, like the guitars. It's real rock, you know, it's got that rock. It's ballsy. Yeah, it's yeah. ballsy. Yeah. Good song. TMG leave Alberts yep. and they sign with Mushrooms, uh, Michael Gudinski. Yep. And at, at that stage, everybody's anybody who's anybody is is pretty He's much signing with Mushrooms. With mushroom, yep. Yep. It was the time. It was sort of like a time for a change, you know. And, and a lot of bands must have felt that was the way to to go because he was an independent. You know, Mushroom was an independent, really um, enthusiastic, you know, and willing to push. He was on the musician side rather than the uh, the counselor side. Correct, yeah. correct. And I think, of, of course, that appeals to musicians, you know. Uh, and as you said before, the first album that um, TMG did with Mushroom was the TMG album. And if you have a look on the inside sleeve, I'm actually on the album. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm, yeah. The little, I'm the baby on a motorcycle, pretend, <laughs> pretend motorcycle. And I think I'm also... Uh, oh, that's, that's, I'm actually sitting on, with my brother on his motorcycle. So, um, but the other, with the other one, on the, the kid is sorry, Ted, when he was a baby, sitting on, the, and I'm sitting with him on his motorcycle. So that was my first claim to fame, 1977 or might be and 77. Did you know? Did you know that you were going to be in the album? Was no, it a not a at surprise all. Surprise for you? No, it was only you know when the album came out. So Mum said, "Oh, by the way, that's look, that's the photo I've got. That's you." I went, "Oh, jeez, I didn't even know," you know. But um, 
So did you used to get any of these albums earlier than most people or? Um, yeah, he normally would bring them over. Yep. Um, he'd bring one of the first copies over to mum, you know, mum still got them all. Um, and so we'd get to have a listen first and mum would give her a critique, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, mum's very much into music as well. Uh, she was she could sing as well. So she'd, you know, give her a little bit of a critique about things. Oh, I'm not too sure about that one and, you know, this, that and the other. But um, obviously, you know, was very proud of everything that he did. To see your son or your children, it's including you, living their dreams and doing yeah. doing what makes them feel happy. Well, that's that's all you can ask that's for. That's great, in the isn't, end, it? isn't and, it? And, and Mum still comes to concerts now. As I said, she's ninety four. She's ninety five this month, this coming weekend. Okay. And well. um, I was in a band for nineteen years called Black Label, quite yep. a hard rock band. And she'd come whenever we played in Campbelltown at the the Bradbury Hotel. She. would be at, right at the front, and people would go, how can she sit? Because we had big PAs, and you know, <laughs> yeah. and we were really hard rock. How can she sit there? You know, and she just loved it, loves it. So, so who who's, who doesn't love rock and roll? Who doesn't love rock and roll? <laughs> That's right. The first single that they um, they put out with Mushrooms is My Little Girl, and it breaks into the uh, the top ten. So Gadinsky's happy. It's at number eight. Yep. Then they. It was a strange one. They released a double-sided uh, album, or mm. double-sided single, I should say, yep. with Naturally yep. and Shalali. Shalali.
And and what happens is half the country starts playing naturally, the radio stations. The other half start playing Shalali, and yeah, the, the the song only hits number twenty. But if you look at it, both songs hit hit in the early twenties. Yeah. The interesting thing is. In in those days, of course, when you bought a single, you got two songs, right? I mean, these days, when you when you download a song, you buy one. Yeah, right. So in those days, you bought two songs, regardless of what the the B side, you know, there's the A side, which is normally the radio song, and the B side. Regardless of what the B side is, it sells as many as the A side. Yeah, true. Right. Yes. Even if it never got played on the radio in its life. Yep. It sold as many copies as the A side. So realistically. When they're half the company's playing one, so half the, half the, they're they're buying that one record. Yeah. So so yeah, realistically, it would have sold well because of that. So who knows? It may have ended up being a number one if you look at it in that respect, f- from sales in in a way, you know. But because it was re- it was being sold as that one's coming up the charts and that one, each one sort of cancelled out the other to get to number one, but yep. it probably sold enough to do it. Um, and Sha La 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 Lee was a cover song. Okay. So, or same as Dark Tan Strutter's Ball, but yeah. But it was a cover song. It was originally done by a band called Faces. Um, or was it Small Faces? Small Faces, I'm thinking. And um, I love doing that song. And, 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 and the crowds now really remember it, yeah. you know. Um, it's a great song, Sha La 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 Lee. Victor up on a Friday night. Sha La 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 Lee. Again, it shows a diverse side to TMG. They can they can put a song out like Wanted Man, yep. or they can put out Shala Lee. So yep. it's, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't it, matter, exactly. Exactly, it doesn't One matter. rolls into the next. Yeah, that's right. Not a lot of bands could, could do that. There's something that I've come across, a promo for Aeroplane Jelly. <laughs> yeah. I've got a song that won't take very long. Quite a good sort of note if I strike it. It's something we eat. And I think it's quite sweet And I know you are going to like it I like aeroplane jelly Aeroplane jelly for me I like it for dinner I like it for tea A little each day is a good recipe Quality's high as the name will imply It's made from pure fruits, one more good reason why I like aeroplane jelly Aeroplane jelly for me
It's an iconic song great, in Australian advertising. And again, it goes to show what level of success they are at. If you've got an, an iconic company like Aeroplane Jelly getting a band like TMG to, to do that, to do that sort yeah. of thing. Because so, I'm sure that jingle to them was precious, you know. Oh, that It was their lifeblood, wasn't it? Yeah. That, that, that song, that, that jingle, as you said, was Aeroplane Jelly. Everyone knows it. Yeah, you know, in regards to, to to what that is for. So someone messing with that, you know, it wouldn't have seemed, it wouldn't have gone down well if it wasn't good. But that's right. And and again, it must have been great promotion for the band. Flexi discs were the the big thing of the day. Yep. It was, you know, if people don't know what flexi discs were, they were they were like a forty five, but you could bend them, and you know, they were micro thin. And yeah. So and I don't know how how you got it. You you probably had to buy ten different. Aeroplane jellies did. and you send probably, the label yeah, in. Yeah, and, and send the label in and get it sent to you, I suppose. Yeah. Again, it would have been great for the band because it would have probably put them in front of people that weren't naturally TMG fans. And That's all of right. a sudden they're – because yeah. everyone likes something for free. So if you yeah. they say buy 10, 10 jellies and, and you get yeah. a record for free, even if you don't like the record, you're still buying the jellies That's to get right. the record for free. Well, you've heard of bubblegum music. Now you've heard of jelly music. <laughs> exactly. The B-side to the Aeroplane Jelly Flexi Disc was a recorded interview with TMG. Let's take a listen. TMG on tour, and uh, we have TMG in the studio with us at the moment. And um, Ted, it's it's been a great period for uh, for TMG with um, Jump in My Car, Darktown Strutters Ball, Jamaica Rum, and now the last two. Uh, why do you reckon TMG has been so successful when other groups have come and sort of gone? Even though they may have had talent. They're Probably because I'm so good looking. <laughs> <laughs> it's the drama. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's, um, it's hard to say. Maybe we had a good start in putting things out when it was maybe just right. Maybe the, the company had a, the records out just at the right time. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say, really. You don't know any sort of special formula for the success? Other than the looks, no. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll plug the LP first. We'll give you a free plug here. You've got a new LP out on Mushroom. What's it called? Yeah, the TMG album. Mm-hmm. It's got nice little photographs of when we're all kids inside. and Google bugboards? Yeah, and it's uh, if you don't like the record, it's something to laugh at, the photos, anyway. Mm-hmm. And there's a double-sided A single from it. Yeah, Shalalalali and um, Naturally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talking um, just about Ted Mulry for a moment, um, without the rest of the group. Now, this is the second time that you've virtually tasted success. Um, there was Julia and Falling in Love Again. When was that about? 1970? 70, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 70, Julia came out. 70, end of 71 was uh, Falling in Love Again. Then went yeah, that was Marcia around about and 50, 58, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 92. 1970 <laughs> or 1870. Seems like a long time ago. I knew the guys, like Herman and Les, they were in a band called Velvet Underground. I'd known them from mm-hmm. like 70 when I started. Yeah. They were, they'd been going for about 50 years then. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> he teamed up with him when we met him on the comeback trial, <laughs> and we just sort of uh, all got on well, and we just, oh, it just happened. Mm-hmm. We so got it, we it, all picked him up out the guy. Was it a, a band looking for a singer, Gary, or was it a singer looking for a band? Sing, uh, yeah, a bit of both actually. <laughs> um, it well, was it was just one of those things where we didn't say let's form a band. It yeah. just sort of happened. We, you know, there was a few gigs to do, so we just got together and did them. And uh, used to rehearse. We. Like we had days off where we just play around in a in a shed, just learning new songs for the hell of just playing it. Remember mm-hmm. all those old songs? 
Yeah, and we've we've been together. Jobs. We just did the uh, Matara a few weeks ago, and that was our yep. fifth anniversary. So the band's been together five years. Now, five years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Matara was our first gig too. Mm-hmm. The TMG sound. It's um it's been accepted right across Australia as a a really good top forty sound for the want of a better word, uh, the strutting sound. I think somebody has referred to it as. Uh, how did this come around? Was it just by accident, or is that just the sort of thing you like doing on stage, just moving uh, around to that beat? Just what happens when you've got um, <laughs> speakers that are not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just how we play, you know, it comes natural. So it comes naturally, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. oh, right. well, there's a pun. Um, sorry. Do you uh, prefer to write your own material, or do you look at old songs that you may be able to revive, um, like Darktown Stratus Ball? There's a few old songs around that you, you could do that are... Um, that are good that mm-hmm. you can still do nice things with, like you know, put a bit of beef in them. They probably come up all right. Diner. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I think on the whole, it's just a the writing thing is just a, a hobby. Anyway, I mean, it's just something oh, we're doing. But we do prefer to write our own material. Do I think. Uh, does he, do you get any other ideas from um, other artists uh, and or their music? You, know, you sit and listen to anything in particular at any special time. I think we basically all like the same sort of thing, mm-hmm. although there might be a few different cassettes that, you know, Herm's got to Les or whatever. Or, yeah. You know, but basically we all pr- like the same sort of music, which is virtually right. rock and roll. Is there ever any time, um, a lot of groups have broken up at the height of their success, any really time when you thought you'd just like to give it all away? Today. Yeah. <laughs> Even the band. <laughs> you can see why, actually. I, I remember um, some time ago when... Uh, a couple of other name groups sort of split up and you say, oh, gee, they're going to be fools to break up, you know, mm. at the peak of their career. But really, the more involved in the business you get and perhaps the more successful and the more debt you incur and the, the more, you know, problems you get with uh, things like your record company and so on and so on and so on. The mm-hmm. list is just unending. And I can see a person being driven by frustration into giving it up. But... Um, what, what are you laughing at? Ted's laughing at your face, so you can't mm. see him. I just no, it's a, radio it's a funny line, but uh, we have um, often uh, have little arguments and that, but we never sort of think about splitting up, if that's what you mean. What would you do if it, it ever man. happened? Would you? Well, Gaz would get a fish and chip shop. Yeah, yeah. Gaz would yeah. get a fish and chip shop. I'd get a jack knife. Where to from here? Um, what can we look forward to for the rest of the year and for next year for TMG as it is at the moment then? Um, well, depending on what happens with this single we've got out at the moment, depending on how long it's going to mm-hmm. be in the chart at all, um, will depend on whether another single comes out before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, if it dies in the clacker soon, uh, we'll, we'll have to put out another one. It's got two chances actually, but why the double A side? Was it just because you liked both the songs and couldn't Yeah, right. Them? A lot of stations that had played the album and mm-hmm. um, there was people saying uh, we like this one we like that one this one that one and those two sort of came up pretty heavily in the conversation and um, we just didn't know which to put as the A side or the B side so made the both A sides yeah we hope the tour does go well for you thanks for talking to us Herman, Gary, Les and Ted from TMG right, on record, TMG, it's it's easy to see they've had so many hits and it's it's there for everyone to see from number one hits, every every album that they put out, they made the charts with. But one of the most iconic bits of footage is with TMG playing on the floating stage in mm. Sydney Harbour. You've got the girls leaping into the 1976, water. 1976 that was. 
And, yeah. you know, that sums up the, the period, you know, like today, the today's security and everything oh, goes on. You, you wouldn't get 100 metres in, in no. to the harbour side. But, no, you wouldn't get near it. But just to, yeah, to see the guys and that's, you know, the, the I think it was the opening of the Opera House or yeah, something, something like, like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah. I think on that day, John Paul Young played, because uh, you see sometimes you'll, you'll see a film clip of John singing I hate the music. That's and right. In a yeah. sailor suit. That's right. It was on the yes. same pontoon, as they yeah. called it. And there was other bands, and I can't even think of all the other bands well, that were on. ACDC was on the on the bill. Billy Thorpe was on the bill right. as well. So Big names. But, exactly. And But TMG, is it's they're the ones that people remember. On that pontoon, on that because pontoon. of their, yep, yep. yeah. And there's one girl in particular who you see sort of being fished out of the water, she comes to the shows now. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I hope you're listening, Di Fenwick. Um, she, um, yeah, she was one of the girls in the water. Well, I'm sure she's glad that she dived in. Absolutely. Because there might have been a moment where she's thinking, should I or shouldn't I? And, <laughs> and she's, she's not it. the type of thing whether she should or not. So just... she just went in <laughs> head first. Yeah, yeah. Sharks or no sharks. <laughs> So the next album released by TMG is Disturbing the Peace. And there's another two hit singles on this. Lazy Eyes. And that's a great song, still, because we have actually have the film clip going behind us when we're playing. So the, the actual film where, where the um, Ted gets married to the horse, basically, in the film <laughs> clip, you know, yeah, pulls the veil back and it's a horse's head, you know. But you and know, again, that shows his humour, doesn't it? Oh yeah, again, again, it's it's a tongue in cheek, you know, fun loving band, yeah. You know? And uh, but that's a great song. I love that. Lazy Eyes is really a, a, got a country feel to it. You know, it's really a, a country song. So that they, they delved into reggae, rock pop, jazz, which ended up being a rock song that was um, Dark Tone Strutters, and country. So they really did a lot of, um, they really delved into different areas. And to, again, to that record buying public, they're, they're putting a record on and they don't know what they're going to get. Ted's taking or TMG's taking them on a journey. Correct. And that's what you want. You, that's it. You don't want to put something on and yeah. know exactly what you're getting before you get it. That's right. As we said, lazy eyes. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got heart of stone, yeah. which it just rocks. That's a that's a that, again that's a rock a rock song with harmonies and melody. Yep. You know, again, it's not just a straight ahead rock song. It has substance. It has, as I said, the harmonies in it are great. You know, and, and uh, Gary and I harmonise on stage on that song. Like, fortunately, Gary's a good, really good singer. You know. Um, and a song, everybody, every, so many people come to the shows and go, oh, I forgot about that one. Oh, I forgot about that one. You know, uh, but they realise at the end of it how many hit songs or songs charted that they had forgotten, but that now they remember. They go, that's amazing. How many? Every song is almost a radio song. 
yep. in the whole set that we do. So the last TMG album on Mushroom is Locked In, and it features some great songs. My favourite album, I might add. Is it? Okay, yep. Well, it starts to give it a um, a more modern sound. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's... That was 1980 that album came out. Okay, yep. Uh, the producer was a guy called Eddie Leonetti, and um, he did a lot of overlays. It, the only thing, I, only thing I find now I don't like about it is some of the sound of the album. I think the songs are good, but there was a lot of the overlaying and – he, he he took out things that should have been there and put things in extra things that shouldn't okay. have been and the production was was big you know big drum sounds and instead of it being you know without all the echo extra echoes and stuff like that funnily enough Hermes actually stripped it all back Herm Kovac in his studio stripped it all back and added back the things that were brought down too much right. and, and it's sounding really good at the moment um but those songs are fantastic I think and yeah there's some great songs on there Save Me is, yeah is great one. song yeah.
love the songs on that album. Um, it was a new style as well. Like Ted's playing was, again, a different level on that album. Uh, he's bass playing. Well, he's just not hitting one note, you know, an open E string or anything like that, <laughs> is right. he? Like he's no. he's playing a, he's playing. a lead type. Bass. That's right. There's a lot of lot of good bass lines in that on that album. Fast forward to 1990, and TMG released a reunion album, and another great single on that is "Old Habits," and it yeah. sounds like uh, Ted's getting a bit of uh, getting a bit of something off his chest with that <laughs> yeah, song. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, wouldn't call it angst, but um, yeah, he, he um, you know, things build up in the industry. Uh, no matter what industry you're in, you be in your own job and things are going to annoy you. Yeah. You know, and uh, sometimes you've got to get it off your chest. And yeah, that song's a little bit like that, you know. Um, but old habits do die hard. <laughs> yes. <when that's- Oh 
So in 2000, you said uh, uh, Ted was diagnosed, he had throat cancer? Ted actually had, um, okay, they couldn't find out what it was to start with and uh, it took him a little bit of time with tests, but it, what it was, it was a tumour on his adrenal gland and the adrenal gland is near your kidney, um, one side of your, of your kidney, of your body, on uh, just above the kidney. Right, okay. And uh, what it was, it was a five centimetre tumour. I don't know why it took him so long to find it, but I'm not having to go at anyone. Yeah. Um, and so, so no, it wasn't throat. So uh, they went in there, cut that out, and then hit him with um, chemo and radiotherapy. They really hit him hard with that. Unfortunately, ca- cancer is a funny thing. Um, not ha- funny, hard, but just a funny, peculiar thing where you cut into the body, it goes holy crap what's happening to me somebody's trying to get me yep. and it will spread it, and, and um it then spread and went to his brain so then they found a tumor in the brain so they had to go in there take that out um and uh staple him back up you know and keep hitting him with chemo the problem was with the chemo um the way that the chemo affected him was that he when he went to eat, the the food tasted so strong, like the, so many times stronger than normal. He, he had difficulty trying to eat it. He ended up the few thing that it, well one thing particularly he could eat was custard because it was nice and smooth and calming. It didn't burn, didn't you know? Yep. So he could eat custard, and that sort of kept him going for a while. But over the period of time, the cancer spread everywhere else as well, and it was you know the chemo wasn't wasn't um, doing anything really in the long run. But as a matter of fact, he really died of malnutrition because he couldn't eat. So in actual fact, yes, it was the cancer that started the ball rolling, the chemo attacking the cancer, which prevented him from eating, and then the lack of nutrition from not being able to eat. Really, that's what, what that's why he died. Of course, it, the, the official word is cancer. So it was the start and then it's, yeah, it, it brought everything else to it. Yeah, like one thing yeah. led to another. You know, you fix one thing and it causes something else. You try and fix something, cause something else by trying to fix that. So, uh, yes, he died the day before his 54th birthday. And 54, it's so young. It's just, yeah. it's crazy. Younger than me. Yeah, yeah. You know, than I am now. And And you think about it too and it's, you, you don't know, well, you, no one can choose which way they go or whatnot, but mm. obviously Ted Ted knew that he was heading south and, mm. and things weren't well, but the way that the rock community or the music community in Australia rallied around mm. him, that must have given him so so much, uh, such a good feeling. And, and I know the the good feeling's not going to overtake the the pain and the suffering no, that he was going but through. But it helps. Yeah, but to Absolutely. see to see your friends and the people around you yep. saying, Well, you mean this much to us. Yep. And it was a big one too. That that went for two nights. And that, and I mean I was there for both nights. I played on both nights. And it was I don't even know if I fully understood it at the time myself how big and important those shows were. Just in community, like the rock and roll, the music community pulling that hard together. You know, I don't even think I realised at the time how massive that undertaking was, that everybody became available at that time. Yep, there and was, that's huge, isn't it? It was yep. huge. Unfortunately, a lot of the artists 
when I say a lot, quite a number of those artists are no longer with us either who played at that concert. John English, for instance, you know, um, Jim Keyes, um, Dale Cotton, I think, was there. Um, you know, there was, there's quite a number of them. Doc, well, Doc wasn't there, sorry, but um, at the time he wasn't in the Angels. He was not well himself at the time. I think he had a car accident and yeah. wasn't well. Um, but, you know, it was a great rally of well-known Australian artists that got together on those two nights. Did Ted ever speak to you uh, about how much this meant to him that these these people were were doing, or it was just it was obvious? I think it was obvious. No, we didn't really actually speak about it. I mean, what was great at the back of the of the um, for the two nights at the back of the the venue, which. Um, was called City Live at the time. I think it's called the Manning Bar now. I think it's Manning Bar. Uh, but it was called City Live. They had a, a shed at the back called Ted's Shed and people were lined up to see him. And these were really like you had to get have a VIP ticket to go in there. Do you know yep. what I mean? And These were fellow icons of Australian music. Yeah, a lot of them yep. were just, you know, 